guys get us today. So uh, we're excited to be here. And I uh, just want to welcome anyone who's watching online or at our different campuses or over in the acoustic service. And uh, we're just glad that you're here. And if someone is here today for the first time, if you're here for the first time and your goal in 2017 was to get to church at least once, and today's that day, you did it. Congratulations. We are really uh, glad that you guys are here. So how many of you guys are excited that it is New Year's Eve? All right. Uh, how many of you guys are excited that church isn't tomorrow morning? You're like, I can't admit that. Um, and then how many of you are like me and probably just going to go to bed at like 10 o'clock tonight? Okay, good. That's the most of us. Okay, cool. So yeah, I was looking, um, 2017, um, it seems like the year has gone so fast, but I was looking the other day, I said, all right, what are some of the big uh, news stories that happened in 2017? So I turned to the infallible, unchanging world of Google and, said, and looked up the top uh, news stories of 2017, just to kind of look back over the year. And here are some of the biggest uh, news stories according to Google, which of course is always 100% accurate. Um, so kind of topping the list, we had the hurricanes. We had Hurricanes Irma, Harvey, Jose, and Maria, and they were just causing a ton of destruction uh, throughout you know, the world and around our regions here, so that was going on. Um, we had the tragedy in Las Vegas, uh, the shooting over there, just, just a huge loss of life and just a terrible, uh, terrible situation. Uh, we got the new president in office, and we've, well, that's wrong. <laughs> I went out of order, um, but I guess that was... So, uh, North Korea, uh, all the craziness going over there, and then the new president in office, so that's happening as well. So, and some of you are thinking, like, has anything good happened in 2017? Well, here's some things that happened in 2017 that are good. Remember a couple months ago, uh, everyone was outside in the early afternoon as this large solar eclipse was happening. That was a pretty cool thing. All of our staff was outside looking at it. It was really interesting to see that, and I just found some goggles at my house the other day from them. And then also, this is one of the biggest news stories of the year that I had absolutely no idea had happened. Um, it says 15 million people either watched or tuned into April the Giraffe in California having a little giraffe. And I saw this and I was like, who in the right mind would watch this or like, what is it about? And I, I made the mistake of clicking on the link and 30 minutes later I was like, oh my gosh, this is so great. So. Now I can see why 15 million people watched it. It was kind of a lot. Um, but that was around the world. And here at the chapel, uh, we had some pretty big events happening as well on a more of a local level. In February, um, if you were a part of this or you, you heard about this, we hosted our first ever Night to Shine Tim Tebow event, just serving and loving um, the special needs uh, families in our community. And I got to volunteer there. And it was probably one of my favorite nights in my entire life. It was just an awesome thing that we got to do and just serve our community. And that we're actually going to be doing that again next month as well. So we're excited about that. Um, like we said before, in April, we started our Montclair campus, which meets on the uh, campus of Montclair State University. So that was a big deal. We got a lot of great volunteers and a lot of great people and some people who are new to the chapel who are already members who came through in that Montclair uh, campus. So that's going on. And then we also um, sent mission teams around the world. Because of those hurricanes, we had a, a good opportunity to send our crisis response team out. Uh, got to go to Houston and uh, sending a team to Puerto Rico and a lot of things happening with that and just other short-term missions. So the chapel was able to kind of spread its footprint around the world. 
And even in the last couple of weeks, here as the Christmas season is happening, we had a ton of volunteers help out with Christmas in Newark, Christmas in Patterson. We sent pallets and pallets of food over to Puerto Rico. And in Montclair, we were able to give and create um, 300 meal, 100 meals at the end of each service on, in the Sundays in December and give them to Tony's Kitchen, which is a place that uh, gives uh, people who need a little assistance with food um, a meal. So we were able to create 300 meals. So just all around the chapel and all around the world, lots of stuff is happening and lots of good things are happening as well. And I think as we, you know, obviously today is the end of the year, I think it's really important to look back over what's happened and kind of reassess and see what happened. But I also think now is the time where a lot of us, if you're like me, you like the idea of this kind of a clean slate coming up, right? It's a great time, a clean slate, um, just the new year, the new calendar year that we, be get, we get to kind of start over fresh and have that clean slate. And if you're like me, you know that the idea of this clean slate in the new year is all over the place. And when you look at the internet or you look at all these ads that are happening right now, all it talks about is the idea of a new year, a new you, right? And this is the time of year where people have the chance and the opportunity to redefine and reinvent themselves and not make the mistakes they've made in the past. And we get to do this and it brings hope and possibility and excitement for us as we get to start. Even just in a, you know, in a couple hours, it's gonna be boom, the new year starts. It's filled with hope and possibility, and we get to redefine and reinvent ourselves. The problem with that is, is a lot of times, for me, some of the things that I see wrong in myself or things that I want to change and redefine aren't really the things that need to be changed and redefined, right? A lot of times we work on things, and we try to change stuff about us, and we're really fixing the fruit of it, and we kind of miss the root of the cause of what it really is. And how terrible is that to go a whole nother year at the end of next year, imagine coming back and really not having changed or grown in the areas that we want to change or grow in. So that's what we want to avoid. And what I want to talk about this morning, and I think most of us could agree upon these things, is if we had to make a list of the top few things that we would like to develop in us throughout the new year, and this is a shameless plug for our mission statement, so just I'm going to put that right out there. But I think because we're all here this morning, we're all in church, we want, there's something about God that we connect with, and we want to grow closer in our relationship with God. So maybe this new year, we want to learn how to love God a little bit more, right? Also, too, because you're here and because God has placed us in relationships with people and we're always around other people, maybe you're like me and you want to learn how to love people a little bit better as well. And then finally, if you're here, you know that inside each one of us, we have a longing to be a part of something bigger than ourselves, right? We love the idea of service and kind of self-sacrifice. We love when we see it and we love when we do it. So we're going to look at that too, maybe how we can serve the world a little bit better. And I know it's a shameless plug, but that's okay, because I think it's really good. And um, I think if we do that, and each one of these things, maybe if one of these things hits us, it can be something that we can really develop over the next year, and we can look back on 2018 and see it as a year where we grew in our walks with God and grew with other people. So first, let's jump in and look at loving God. So what would it look like for us to love God more? I mean, practically, what does that look like? And I'm thinking through this. I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, how do we actually do that? Um, how do we love God more? And I think if we're honest, a lot of times in other religions around the world, it's easier to see when people are, quote, quote, loving God more because of what they're doing, right? 
A lot of religions are about what you do in order to get to God. And, and when you look at different religions around the world, the more external things that you do, the more it seems like you're loving God. And that's kind of hard for us because Christianity is all about what has been done for us by, by Christ, and we don't ever want to get into that works-based thing. So it's hard for us to kind of see, what, how do I do a little bit more without getting caught into that conundrum of works versus faith? So I think that's, a, that's something that we kind of have to wrestle with. And if you're like me, a lot of the times, I, I fall into that do more, th- do more mentality in order to love God more. Have you guys ever experienced that? I mean, sometimes I think when we're thinking about God, okay, I'm going to love God more. I'm just going to pray harder, right? So we do the prayer where you're like kind of like gouging your eyes, you know, like we're just praying so hard. Maybe that's what it looks like to love God more. Or maybe it looks like giving away our stuff. You know, maybe I'm going to show God that I love him and I'm going to give away more and more of my stuff this year. Or maybe I'm going to do the ultimate sacrifice of give away my stuff and move over to a third world country. You know, sometimes we look at that as the epitome of someone who loves God more. And I think all those things are good, but I don't think that's necessarily what God is calling each and every one of us to do. We set our minds on doing more, but God's not calling us to do that. And here's what I think. I think just like in any relationship, the more that you are around God, or the more that you're around a person, the more, the more you develop a relationship with that person, right? And I think it's the same thing when we talk about God. The more you're around God, the more you're going to develop a deep love and a deep passion for God. Now, I put it like this to try to help myself remember it. I believe that one way that we can love God more in 2018, if this is, if this is you, is to seek his presence, not just his direction. I know so many times we come to God and say, God, can you help me with this? Can you help me with this? And, God is, and we're asking God to do things. But I think a lot of the times God is just asking us to be simply in his presence. So not just asking for, but spending time and being with God. Look at what David says in Psalm 27, verses 3 and 4. He says this, this Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Do you see what he said? Like When he says armies are around him, this is literally what's happening to him. He has people ready to kill him and ready to kill his family. And he's praying to God and he's not asking for victory. He's not asking for escape. He's not asking God to just bring down the armies of heaven on his enemies. Did you notice what he asked for? He just wants to dwell and be in the presence of God. He doesn't ask for victory. He asks for God's presence with him. And I think we can learn a lot from that. So how do we practically do this? I think, like David in this psalm, I think what we need to do is be able to spend some time and just dwell with God. And maybe for you, dwelling looks like having a daily quiet time for the first time in 2018, um, a daily quiet time with God this year. Maybe it's doing once, one time a week, or twice a week, or three times a week, or adding times of silence to your life where you can actually posture yourself to hear what God may be saying to you. So you've got to dwell with God. And honestly, if you're like me, like anything, we struggle with this because our normal, natural inclination is to move away. 
But this is something that God asks us to do, is simply to just dwell with him. And it's so important to spend time getting to know God, because the more you know him, he begins to define who you are, and you simply begin to enjoy him for who he is. And as a result of that, we begin to love God more. The second thing I want to talk about is the idea about loving people. Some of you are like, can't I just love God? Do I really have to love people? Do you know the people in my life? Um, but no, it kind of goes all together. So I think it's really important that we talk about this. So loving people. When we're connected with God, we begin to define ourselves the way he defines us as loved and highly valuable created people. And when, be- and when God begins to define who we are, we begin to have a strong sense of self and identity and security in our, in our relationship with Christ, and it awakens us to see the people around us in a different way. You see, if you're all about God and you have awful relationships, there's something missing. If you're all about relationships and don't have a relationship with God, you're probably super fun to be around, but there's something missing there as well. It goes both hand in hand. We've got to get both of these right. A couple of years ago, I was um, a hospital chaplain at a, a large hospital, and part of what we had to do was we would go and do rounding on floors. I had the coronary care and critical care unit. So you kind of just go and cold call doors and check in on people and see how they were doing and just check in. So it was kind of hard and it was interesting and it was crazy and all those good things. So I would go and do this, and it was really important that we would do the God connection well with people and the people connection well with people. So I was doing this, and I went into this room, and I was meeting with this, uh, these two women and talking to them. One was in the hospital bed, not in, not in such good shape, and uh, was having these really, really deep God conversations. Like, it went from zero to 60 really fast, and I'm thinking in my head, like, if this is, like, you know, fantasy pastoring, like, I'm, hitting, I'm getting points here, you know? Like, I'm doing really well. So I was, like, really happy with it, and it felt like God was kind of ordaining this conversation. I was like, yes, you know, like this is really good. And they were talking about things and we were kind of going through the checkpoints of what you want in a good uh, hospital bedside conversation. So I was really happy about it. So I was really hitting the God thing really well. The problem was at the end of that conversation, I said, well, ma'am, thank you. You know, it's been so great talking to you and your sister here. And uh, the problem was, she said, that's not my sister, that's my husband. I didn't recognize that it was a guy in the bed, and the whole conversation kind of went south really, really quick. Um, so I did the God thing really well, but I missed the person thing really well. And you get the point. We got to do both of those things really, really well in order to have this uh, working for us. Fortunately, Jesus does this really well. Look what he says in Mark 24, verses, Mark 5, verse 24 through 34. It says, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. That's Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, Her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? 
You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you ask, who, can who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. See, how did Jesus love people so well? He was secure enough in his relationship with, Christ, with God that he was able to get close to the really messy people in his life because he loved people as part of a bigger story, the story of God. With the woman, her presenting problem was bleeding and shame and embarrassment, but Jesus got close to her and saw her as part of a bigger story and didn't just heal her physically. He healed everything about her and brought her into the faith. You see, in order to love people more, if this is you and you want to work on this in 2018, in order to love people more, you got to take the risk of getting close to them because it's really hard to love people from a distance. And ultimately, we have our ultimate example of Christ, who, and God and Christ who had loved us and it was so f we were far and he bridged that gap and he closed that distance in order to come and be among us and his birth is what we just celebrated last week. So we gotta get close to people and take the risk and move in in order to love people well because it's impossible to love people well from a distance. One of my favorite authors, Rosaria Butterfield, beautifully explains this in her book, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Listen to what she says. I'm going to paraphrase in the second part. She said, when we are connected with God, we begin to define ourselves by the way he defines us as loved and highly valuable people. And when God begins to define who we are, we begin to have a strong sense of identity and rootedness in Christ and our relationships. And our relationship with God awakens us to see other people in a new way. Then she adds, and this is where I'll paraphrase, talking about sin in other people's lives, that we should never presume what their worst sin is, whatever their presenting issue to us is. We should never presume what that worst sin is because it's never that thing. She goes on to say the worst sin that anyone has in their life is the unbelief about God and who he says he is. So that's the thing that we always got to get to. And the only way to get through the exterior of people is to get close enough to touch them and allow the power to go out of you. And I think as I talk, I talk about this, you know those people in your life, right? That physically drain the power out of, not like Jesus' power, but the physical draining of power. You know that when you see someone or you get that text message or that phone call and you see that number, like you know who these people are, right? And you're like, oh my gosh, I can't answer this. It's going to be 30 minutes. Or you're walking in, you know, shop right and you see that person and you kind of like go around the corner or maybe go to the opposite side of the, you know, try not to be seen because you know that when you invest time in this person, the power is going to go out with you, right? We do this all the time. And it's like, sometimes it feels like talking a three minute conversation with a certain person feels like running a marathon after, right? It's because we're investing in that person and we're doing what Christ did and the power goes out of us. So if you want to love people more, you got to know that when that is happening and when you're being drained by someone, it is probably right where God wants you to be. And the good news is, is because we're connected with Christ, he fills us back up. That's how that kind of works. To love people more like Jesus did, you got to take the risk and get close to them, just like he did, and see them how he saw them. See people as part of a bigger story, the story of God. So love God, love people, 
And in us, each one of us, is this idea of being part of bigger, something bigger than ourselves and being able to serve the world. When we know who we are by spending time with God and we begin to see people as part of a bigger story, God's story, our response can be like Christ's in Mark 10, 45. It says this, and this is a pretty familiar verse. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, we have the ultimate example of Christ giving his life for us and serving for us. So when he does that and we follow him, this just naturally has to flow out of us and flow out of who we are. It was called, uh, it was the year 165, and Christianity was kind of in its second generation of followers. Christ had died and his followers had died, and um, his, his initial followers, disciples, were all passing on and moving, and, the, and Christianity was kind of spreading. It was this new religion in the Roman Empire, and um, it wasn't very popular at the time, but it was beginning to grow, and the roots were going down, and it was there... Um, to kind of the seed of where the church started in the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was composed of like 15, um, 15 million people. So there's a lot of people in this small space. And because of that, if you've been to a third world country, you know that a lot of times when there's so many people around in such an old time, there's not a lot of good sanitation and people are kind of stacked on top of each other. And because of that, there's lots of disease and lots of sickness and lots of things going on that people, you know, weren't very good. And a lot of times when we look at the Roman, Roman history, we see all this clean, like, white slates and these beautiful palaces and all that stuff, and that's part of it. But also, the majority of the people lived in a way that was very, very different than that, kind of on top of each other and in, in, in kind of rough scenarios. And in 165, um, because of this living situation... There was, a, there was a plague, and there's lots of plagues that we read about, but there was one in 165 called the Antonine Plague, and in that plague, it killed nearly one-third of the Roman population. So that's five million people perished because of this plague. Now, if you were there in Rome at that time, you, and you had some money, and you had some privilege, and you had a position, you would leave the city and head for the hills and get out of there so that you could escape what was happening during this time. So lots of people who were able to do that would just go and they'd be a part of it. All the government officials, the king, you know, anyone, the emperors would just get out of there and kind of leave the people and just kind of flee. So everyone would leave except for a certain group of people. And the certain group of people that actually stayed or went into the city to help people was the early Christians. They wanted to serve the world because they knew that they followed Christ who served the world. So instead of leaving harm's way, they actually went into harm's way. And because of what they did, they went in and people were dying and, and it was really just a, a, a nasty situation. But they went in and they risked life and limb and they nursed people back to health. They helped people get themselves back in order and get themselves back to health, and the Christians were right alongside the people who were sick and suffering. And lots of the Christians didn't even make it through that. They died right alongside those people. But what they did do in serving the world was they walked alongside those people, and, the, and their selfless sacrifice of what they did helped Christianity spread like wildfire through that empire and actually made it get to the point where it is Today, it took root because of the selfless sacrifice of the Christians who began to serve the world in that capacity. And that's a huge thing for us 
And I think today, especially in today's culture, when we're talking about serving the world, that is the number one thing that people look at when they talk about a church or what, what God may be doing in our life. They're talking about what are you actually doing in the culture around you that's making a difference. And these guys got it back then. And because of what they did, Christianity spread faster than the plague, and they helped people, and the word of God spread, and people got their lives changed because of their walk with Christ and how powerful it influenced them. So what would it look like for you to serve the world like this? Maybe it's jumping in on one of our crisis response teams led by my buddy Brian Weathers. Or maybe it's going on a short-term mission or serving somewhere local this year. Whatever you choose, we got to do something because when you do it, it changes you and it changes those around us. It's one of the most powerful things we can do. So we love God by spending time with him. We love people more by seeing them as part of a big story, the story of God. And we serve the world by actually going out and investing and living our lives and, and giving, us our, giving away ourselves as a sacrifice to others because that sends a huge message to those following who are not yet following Christ. As we close today, Taylor, he should be here somewhere. I don't quite see him yet. Taylor, anyone? Oh, okay. Um, Taylor is going to lead us in um, singing a song. And uh, I'm going to come up after that song and we're going to pray. And the song that he's going to lead us in, if he is still around, hopefully, otherwise I will not sing it and we'll just close in prayer. Um, you don't want that to happen. Uh, but the song that he's going to lead us in is a song that's very familiar. It's a familiar tune, Auld Lang Syne, talking about, you know, our friends, and we hear this at the end of the year. It's like the New Year's song, right, if you know the song. But he's going to sing it, and, and the cool thing about this is the, the tune is the same, so you're going to pick up on that really quickly, but the lyrics are very different because they point us to Christ. So I'm going to turn it over to Taylor. He's going to lead us in that, and then I'm going to come back and close us in prayer. The background of communion, the need for communion, and meaning of communion. All right, the background for it, why we need it, uh, and then what it really means. And by 